Hello and welcome to Alan and Overy's launch. My name is Bianca Vasilake, and I will be your host on the podcast for demystifying both the process of getting into law and where this career might take you. Today's episode is unfortunately the final episode, but you know what they say, last is never least. So we are going to talk about the final hurdle, which is the assessment center. And in order to answer the biggest questions on this topic, I have with me uh, Karan Dinamani, one of our partners in the corporate department who has extensive experience with case study interviews. I also have Emma Barker, one of our graduate recruitment specialists, and Godwin Tan, one of our trainees uh, who has, well, the experience of an applicant and he can share his perspectives. Uh, He was a law student at UCL and then did his law master's at Cambridge. So now thank you all for joining me. And uh, shall we get straight into it? Yeah, let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. So uh, the first question is more for uh, Godwin and Emma. What do you think are the most common types of assessment centers? Because, you know, you can have two interviews or an interview and a presentation. Some have a written exercise. But from your experience, what do you think are the most common ones? I think for me, the most common ones are uh, like competency-based interviews paired with a case study interview mm-hmm. so to get both perspectives from personal questions to more situational scenario based questions okay what do um, you think emma i think assessment centers look different um across different industries as well as different um firms so um as you mentioned there might be sort of um written exercises to complete a group exercise presentation but i'd probably say the most common are interviews um these may be one-to-one or with a panel um, focused on soft and sort of technical skills. So your soft skills may be a competency interview or a scenario-based interview, which we do at a um, And the latter, one that really focuses on your commercial awareness. So it take the form of a newspaper article or a case study exercise. And this actually, I'm very happy that you mentioned the scenario-based interview because I know that a or at least when I applied, uh, Eno had the competency interview. And I was wondering why has it been changed to a scenario-based interview and what the main differences are? So um, competency interviews have been around for a while and they typically ask you to look back at your past experience. So we were looking to level the playing field as people have different access to opportunities and work experience. So some people can afford to talk about more things. So we shifted it to a future focus. So you're presented with a scenario um, and asked how you would respond to that. Um, And that's it, essentially. We're looking at your potential. It also allows you to be a little less rehearsed. Um, it's quite common name a time that you've demonstrated this. Whereas if you're given a scenario, it allows you to think on your feet and perhaps logically work through that. It also is a good precursor to working here because it's um, a realistic preview of a scenario you might face in, in the workplace. Um, so hopefully it goes hand in hand with um, allowing you to understand more what the role involves and us to understand more how you would judge that situation. So could you give an example of a of a question or of a scenario that would be used in such a scenario-based interview and how a candidate would kind of tackle it? Um, so it could just 
be um, broadly any sort of business um, or workplace scenarios. So it might be you have um, three tasks to complete, they're all due tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we'd just be looking for your logic. How would you go about completing these tasks? Would you ask for input from others? Think about um, what the tasks that are needed, how much time they'll they'll take whether that's achievable in that time frame but there is no right answer as such um we're more looking at at the judgment you make um as we appreciate you might not have worked in an environment like this before so try and uh, give an answer that you would actually do rather than you want the one that you think we'd like to hear so Godwin, have you ever done this kind of scenario-based interview? And if not, how would you prepare for it that's different from a competency interview? Well, I've, I've not done um, one of those, but I was thinking for competency interviews, you prepare it normally by you know, listing down examples of what you've done and trying to separate them out in terms of context, action, result, that kind of structure. Mm-hmm. Whereas for the scenario-based interview, you looked at the approach taken to new task set before you. So probably I would focus more on if I were to receive a task today that, that I have to do and, and there's some time pressure, what would I, um, how would I respond to it? So I would look at perhaps emergency or crisis situations in, in a workplace and focus on thinking what approach I would take to answering those questions. Do you think it would be helpful maybe at networking events to also understand a bit better how people would tackle this kind of situations in real life as part of the preparation itself? I think definitely. Definitely speak to people and, and ask them, you know, when it does happen in the firm, what do you do? And also at the same time, you can pick up on the way uh, people interact with each other in the firm mm-hmm. and see whether that is the kind of way that, that you prefer. If you can incorporate that in your answers, it at least shows that you have a, a degree of interest and awareness of how the firm operates. That's very interesting. And I know you mentioned that, for instance, for competency interviews, you think about examples, you think about how to structure it, but obviously you always need to reach a balance because you don't want to sound too rehearsed. So how did you manage not to sound too rehearsed while also being very prepared? So before uh, I entered the the interview, I would have like a like a handful or maybe five examples that I really want to share with the interviewer. <laughs> and in my mind, I would think, what is the context? What do I do? And what results do I achieve? Yeah. And, and they're all strictly bullet points, just, just in this very broad five examples that I would somehow try to, to showcase to the interviewer. And, and um, so instead of preparing like a script, um, I, I just went in there and, and for instance, thought of an example and said like, this is my first example and yeah. this is what I did. These are the results, yeah. Okay, so rather just think about examples rather than trying to preempt the questions you'll be asked and like yeah, pre-draft right. stuff. Yeah, you, you don't want to, to appear as though you're not answering the question. So the best way to do it is by just preparing a few examples and listening to the question and thinking which example best fits it and just offer it from there, yeah. Um, and just to add, we're not discouraging the preparation with the scenario-based interview. <laughs> um, we'd still want you to look, think about the attributes we're looking for, some examples to maybe consolidate your thinking. Really, we're just asking that you shift your focus and that you're looking more about a scenario that you're yet to face as opposed to a situation that you have. So that would helps. you expect candidates to kind of bring up their previous experiences when answering scenario-based interview questions as well? Yeah, sometimes interviewers will sort of probe and say say the um, question was based around teamwork. They may just sort of say, is there any instances, you know, 
inside or outside of your degree or um, where you've worked as a team um, after focusing on the scenario at hand first. So, so it doesn't harm to have any, uh, any examples to hand for that. I mean, that definitely clarifies it a bit more because it's, it's, a, it's a new concept. But one of the questions, one of the burning questions I had when I was going through the process is whether the scenario-based interview or competency interview, whichever it might be, and the case study interview carry different weight and which one carries more weight. Um, so as we have both interviews as part of the process, they're both obviously carry carry some substance I otherwise. I really enjoy it if Emma said to me, I said, oh, well, of course, a case study, which often people like me, the partners are doing, carries very little weight. That would be very, that would be an excellent <laughs> yeah, and amazing so, answer. <laughs> so I think a virtue by them both existing means that they're both testing attributes that we're looking for and we think they're valuable. I feel like the case study, which focuses on your commercial awareness, is very important because that is a key part of the actual role in being a commercial lawyer. So that one and the technical um, aspects that you display there is very important, but alongside the other one. I mean, I'm assuming we have to be technically very good, but also nice people to work with. Exactly. <laughs> and yes. yes, absolutely. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> <be good. laughs> um, which leads me to the case study interview. And I was wondering, Karen, what kind of attributes or skills are you looking for candidates to demonstrate in the case study interview? When Emma mentioned earlier, um, so a theme which is just consistent, I think, around all what we're looking for in candidates generally, which is potential. People grow, people change, um, and you should never, We don't, I mean, certainly I don't, going to go into something thinking what the person is saying and how they are now is all they ever will be, because that's just not, yeah. not useful. It's uh, reassuring as well. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, people, people grow. So for, 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 for me, whenever I do a case study interview, and I've done... A very large number at this point. Um, I'm I'm going in there trying to best best better understand um, what what the potential of this person is in the round, um, and whether they can, you know, they would feel comfortable and thrive in what ultimately is an extremely high performance, high potential environment where we have people who are just exceptionally talented, um, and where our clients demand the best and nothing less. Mm-hmm. So the type of characteristics you know, you tend to look for. And frankly, it's just not possible to generalize and say it's just these things. But yeah. broadly speaking, you know, I look for a quick mind. Um, I look for composure and, you know, you sort of assess personality. As you said, you know, you want, we work hard and you want people who uh, their colleagues will get along with and clients will get along with, even when they're under pressure. And that's a, that's just a very rare Trait, to be honest with you, because it takes a huge amount of 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 um, backing yourself to get to a place where you can be composed even when you're under pressure, and you know you can make a joke. Um, don't have to make a joke, please. Don't make bad jokes. <laughs> cringy for everyone, but you know, just be affable. The, um, the silence on a call. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Wait, it's like, is the uh, line working? Yeah, it's like please, please stop talking. Um, no. Uh, and and obviously underpinning all of it is commercial awareness, but that, that that term has a lot of ambiguity to it in the sense that people say, well, what is commercial awareness? Well, I think that's probably one of your questions later. Will be what is commercial awareness? Yeah, we will we will come to it a bit later well, let's in come more on, detail. Let, let, let's come on to it later. But those, you know, if I were to say what is it, I'm looking. We're all looking at potential, and you know, it's about how how quick is your mind? How do you come across? Can you hold it together? And 
can you you know articulate things in a way which indicates you understand what you're talking about godwin how did you prepare for case study interviews when you were an applicant so right from the start um what i did was i looked at the law firm's website and look at what departments they had and what how they separated their departments and the groups and and what focus they have in the different groups so when i did um enter to do the case study i tried to answer it in a way that reflects the firm's structure so i would name the department that the firm has using the the terminology that the firm uses and also have a think about what a trainee in those various departments um it does and and imagine myself as a trainee sitting in all the different departments and thinking about the roles and responsibilities i might have and just um integrating all of that into my answers in a case study to show that i'm prepared for the job Mm-hmm. And besides the website, did you use any other resources? Because many times, well, the case study is meant to test commercial awareness, but also your understanding of whatever deal you have in your package, your ability to take in information and critically analyze it. So did you use any other resources to prepare yourself for that? I, th- I think I looked at the video. I think it's called Anatomy of a Deal. Um, yeah. So I, I watched that video to, to better understand um, what commercial lawyers do. Um, at the same time, I, I kept up with the news. I, I read about um, what was happening around us and, and how that might have commercial implications. And if it's when it's relevant to the case study, I'll bring it up and say that there is this piece of news. We see the trend moving towards you know, a certain area and I see this affecting um, you know, my, my role or, or the deal or, or this might be an issue to flag up. Karen or Emma, what are the recommendations you would have for candidates? Um, so I think, um, did you do law at university? Got I did, so yeah. I think the key distinction here is obviously people are approaching this from different degree disciplines. So it doesn't necessarily have to be sort of legal press or the financial times, but um, even you go to buy a coffee in the morning, the product, the pricing, the branding, you can start to think about how a business thrives and survives more broadly around you. Um, there's also various apps now and podcasts where you can listen to shorter such downloads. Such as this one. Such as this one. <laughs> Very um, helpful. But, you know, they kind of um, consolidate the news so you don't have to necessarily read it back to back, but they'll sort of bring highlights. Um, you could pick a, th- a theme like retail and follow it over a period of time because naturally you can't become necessarily an expert on everything. But I think the key thing really is that the case studies are known, as in the material itself, you only see on the day. And that's part of the test is how you adapt to that material and present it back. So there's more broad way that you can prepare. But in another sense, part of the, the assessment is kind of how you respond to those documents in front of you, how you manage your time. Um, potentially you could read a newspaper article under time pressure and just extract the issues and start to think about the solutions to test yourself in that way. But it probably won't be as in-depth as it would be at the interview itself. Well, that's definitely very encouraging, I would say, especially for, well, I think as a law student, you get bombarded with all of these workshops and you get taught a lot. But I think when you are a non-law student, it's a bit more difficult to have access to this kind of information. And it's even more confusing as to what you're assessed on. Uh, and now just coming back to commercial awareness. And my question for you, Karen, was how can you tell in an interview whether someone is commercially aware? So, um, again, a bit of an abstract thing, and I suspect most, like many of my partners who do these interviews will give you a slightly different answer, but broadly, thematically, 
When you talk about commercial awareness, you're largely talking about someone who has an appreciation for the implications of what, what's to follow. So when you read something, what you take away from it will depend on how, what your life experience has given you so far and what your view is in life as to what's important. If you're sort of the type of person who, to whom commercial life has had an intellectual interest or an active interest or just, you know, you're, you know you're, you're the type of person who understands how business works, you're going to give a different type of answer to someone who hasn't actively engaged their mind to it. So a situation, you know, you have in our case studies, there'll be factual situations, factual statements made, which in and of themselves lend to nothing. Mm-hmm. What you need to do is to say, well, what does that mean? What is the consequence of that? What are the implications of that? And so how good your answer is depends entirely on how commercially aware, in quotes, you are. That's really all it is. So, Godwin, what do you understand commercial awareness to be? So, from a student's perspective, I think there are two layers to it. The first layer is is commercial knowledge. It's knowing the facts, knowing what's going on around you, keeping up with the news, knowing the big big ticket items, knowing one or two niche uh, niche um, areas. And the second layer, I think it's it's a commercial approach. It's thinking about what commercial implications those facts might lead to. Mm-hmm. Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing for which stakeholder? Um, if I'm advising a certain stakeholder, what approach should we take? What, um, what, where do we see the future of, of this area developing? And thinking about those questions. So I think that the two aspects to it and the combination of that would lead us to someone who is commercially aware. So how do you go about gaining commercial awareness and also then showcasing it in the case study interview? Because you don't want to just like drop the name of a deal if it's like completely out of context. So I, well, I come from a family that doesn't really deal a lot with commerce. Um, you know, my dad's mechanic, my mom's a nurse. So I didn't grow up with anyone who was really aware of finance or commerce or anything like that. So what I found was helpful was to start with um, basic glossaries to really understand what certain terms like demand, supply um, really means. Yeah. And um, eventually I moved on to um, short books on it. I think Chris Stokes writes a few books on it, um, on commercial awareness. And, and then finally, I, I move on to, the, you know, the platform articles, um, the, the podcasts, et cetera, to really understand how people talk about it, how they analyze it, okay. and then try to merge that with what I already know and, and come up with, with something that is uniquely commercially aware. That's perfectly valid, obviously, and very much, you know, would be great. And just, just to throw it out there, that isn't the only model of commercial awareness. You know, there are such a different big diversity of people we have in this firm and you know if you look at my team i'm, I'm in the private equity team it's my team and you know all we do is uh, famously very commercially aware stuff <laughs> and um you know we have to be nimble we have to be quick we have to know what we care about and what we don't care about and that lends itself to a personality type which is less deliberate much more instinctive much more you just instinctively know what matters and what doesn't and how do you get that you get that from in your life, generally taking risks. So the people I find, you know, there's a whole, huge range of people I find interesting, but the people I find particularly interesting in our profession are the people who give answers which are based on nothing other than they think that's the right answer. And then you spend some time going to it as to why. And you unravel it. And it's incredible how often you find that someone has passively taken in such an incredible amount just by being very conscious about what they're interacting with. Your coffee example is a really good one. You know, you'll get some people who, who by nature, you know, will walk into a place and will just be curious and will have a conversation with the manager about how this works. You know, we'll know what the staff get paid. We'll just know things because they, they, they're interested. 
Mm-hmm. And that's very different from Godwin's. Mm-hmm. And they both would be equally impressive. Do you see my point? Very yeah. different, but but you'll get and you'll get very different answers, but both equally valuable. I think this is actually very interesting because I remember when I was applying and I was going to these events and I was trying to gain commercial awareness myself because I I didn't grow up here. So when I moved here, it was very, very different. And um, I I took I totally took Godwin's approach because that's what that's the one that's advised everywhere. So it's, it's quite interesting to see a very different perspective. Another question I was thinking about also bodes in well to this kind of more contrived preparation that we think we need to do. We're often told that, you know, before the interview, you need to read up on the deals that the firm has been involved in, understand what the firm has done and be very good on this and then naturally bring it up in the interview. How important is it for interviewees to to read up on these deals, to bring them up in the interview and how can they do that naturally? And what level of understanding do they need of the deals? Because many times it's, well, it's quite a brief summary of what has happened. And if you pretend like you understand that, you just look worse than if you hadn't mentioned it. I mean, it's such a good question. I mean, if you, I don't know, if you read the financial press closely enough, the irony is the financial journalists don't get it right. So how is a, a student going to get yeah. it right? It's not possible. Um, I think it's important to to read up. I think, you know, uh, let me let me not give the wrong impression. Anybody who comes and joins this job needs to be extremely hardworking and needs to be able to put a lot of effort into it. So I think it makes sense simply because, frankly, you should understand the firm and what it does. Um, so I think it's important. I think in terms of bringing it up, it goes back to what you were saying earlier, which is don't don't force don't force examples. It's just not going to it's just going to jar a bit. If you can do so without it being forced and with it being appropriate, it's great. It adds richness to your answer. Um, market trends are probably more easy to incorporate. Um, and so what I'd say is you should you should be understanding what the firm is doing. And when you are looking at our firm and you look at the deals we're doing, actually it will help inform market trends just because of what we do. We are so across everything that you will get a very good understanding of where the market is in almost any area. And then you'll find that when you approach a case study, Things aren't quite as alien to you as you expected or as you thought they were before. Okay. Well, what do you think, Godwin? And how did you how did you go about actually being informed about these deals and market trends as well? Well, I, I think that's right. Um, I mean, the firm the firm publishes the deals that they do, and it'll be at least for me, it would be quite strange if the candidate doesn't know any deals that the firm does. Um, at the same time, because we do we set the pace in the market. Almost any one of the headline deals, you would see our involvement somehow. So in, in a sense, you don't really have to deliberately do it that way either. But it's always good, I think, to, to have at the back of mind a few of uh, deals of, that the firm is doing. So you at least have an idea of um, what kind of work you've been involved in and why that might interest you. And you can bring it up if it's relevant and if it's natural. Yeah. I remember when I was applying, I found it very useful to kind of read the firm's annual report. That was kind of my cheat sheet to (laughs) understanding market trends, which kind of leads me to my question for Godwin, which is if you have ever struggled in an interview situation and how you handled it. Many times, actually. Um, (laughs) The interview is a constant struggle. (laughs) No, you... You get the occasional question that, that really makes you think. So I remember one question that I had that, that I struggled with quite a bit was, um, if your best friend was with us in, in the room, what would he or she think your five biggest weaknesses are? 
And, oh, oh well, God. I would have thought of like three, maybe, but like five. <laughs> I, I, yeah, your friends that. are not nearly honest enough. <laughs> <laughs> I had I had to dig really deep for that one. Um, yeah. But as a whole, I, I think interviewers understand that um, it is it is a high stress. It's a very stressful position to be a, as an interviewee. So, so people tend to you know cut you some slack. You can take a sip of water. They let you give you some time to think. I think they too want you to perform well. I think no none of the interviewers are out there trying to you know catch you out. They they are actually there to present you with the questions that they have to ask to assess what they need to assess. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they, they really want you to do as well as you can. So yeah. if you ever get a question that stumps you, just take as much time as you, you need to, to pause, think, drink, take a sip of water. You can't, can't even say that the question is very tough. You can be honest with them and say the question is very tough and that's why you're taking a bit longer. But I think they would prefer that than if you just jump straight in without a coherent answer. I think, but I think that's really important. What you said initially was really important for everybody to understand, which is no one wants you to do badly. It's not an adversarial situation at all. If you've been called to this interview, by definition, we want you to succeed. Mm-hmm. And the person opposite, it may not seem like it <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> it may feel like that's not the case, but it absolutely is the case. And so, you know, Emma talked about, you know, giving yourself time. You talked about giving yourself time, being honest. Just be brave. Be brave and just back yourself and just accept this is not a hostile and you know it's not a hostile situation at all and another something that i found useful and it's mainly because i felt weird if i got asked the question and i was just sitting there in silence and like 10 seconds felt like one minute i would sometimes just kind of walk the interviewer through my thinking process and even though i didn't know the final answer at least the interviewer knew that I was actually analyzing the situation and I was thinking about of the steps I would go through. I think that's great. That's, that's just being brave. You're having a go. You're like, I'm not sure, but I think it's this. That's perfect. Yeah. And it is a face-to-face interview, so they've got the visual cues. It's not like a telephone <laughs> interview, so hopefully they'll be able to give you a moment. At least a breath. Facial cues can be interesting. <laughs> Both ways. Yeah, very true. Um, and what if someone says something and then they realize they've made a mistake? How would you recommend they handle that? Do they just backtrack immediately? I'm, I'm happy to take this one. So I think sometimes candidates do go in with an answer and they think as they say it they perhaps think there could be a better course of action and I think it's fine to just say on reflection actually I think it might be better approached this way um it's more if the interviewer is saying oh could you consider another way and that person's completely fixed when you're trying to perhaps say that there could be another way of approaching it that it's more of an issue but I think it's okay if you sort of start off on one tangent and then say actually having um, yeah, had a moment to reflect on this. This is one way I could have approached it, but I think it would be better. And then you're kind of bringing it back rather than saying, I'm sorry, I've made a mistake because I don't think you should be sorry because it's quite high pressured. Um, but you're, again, almost showing your thinking and saying, I've actually thought of another way to approach it, which we do every day. You probably think I could do X, Y or Z. And then you choose the best course. Trust yourself that you get better at this, by the way. The more you do this, you make less, less of those mistakes. But, but um, give you, you know, cut yourself some slack. Um, and uh, like, you know, saying sorry, not saying sorry, cultural thing, frankly. You can apologize if you think that's what you want to do. But the key thing is just keep your composure. Again, as I mentioned, what are the characteristics? Composure. Keep your composure. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong in being wrong. Yeah. 
there is only something wrong in Emma's right. If you're being led down a path and you're just not hearing it, that's, you know, you should be listening to what's coming to you. Yeah. And this uh, leads me to the next question, which I was wondering, Godwin, how you found that you've developed through interviews and how you took on board feedback and how you managed to improve? I definitely saw myself getting bolder as I did more interviews because I started to become quite comfortable in this situation, in, in the hot seat. Um, and sometimes some questions overlap. So it's, it's almost like deja vu replaying in my mind. Um, so it becomes a lot easier. So I think practicing maybe, you know, with a friend before you actually enter the interview is, is a good idea because it just it just puts your mind and, and, and your body like prepared for that scenario. So it doesn't it doesn't go too crazy when it actually happens. Yeah, it doesn't you, come as a surprise. That's right. Yeah, it doesn't come as a surprise. And just uh, speaking a bit about the end of these interviews, when sometimes you get asked whether you have some questions for the interviewer. So I was wondering whether, I don't know, what are some of the interesting questions you've been asked or what are some of the interesting questions you have asked in Godwin's case uh, and whether you could kind of share that. Uh, well, I try not to prepare those questions because I feel like they, they should be relevant to the interview. So mm -hmm. my questions tend to be either something that has happened or something I know will happen. Mm -hmm. So I remember one interesting interview, um, the, the person interviewing me was saying that um, he has to leave the interview you know, quite quickly because he has a call with a Chinese client. And so I asked him, like, just frankly, oh, what, what is the call about? And he was like, oh, we're just discussing you know, some trends in the economy. And I was like, you know, I, I've written stuff on the trends of in, in Chinese economy. Do you want to discuss that instead? So we spent like five minutes towards the end of interview just discussing what I've, I thought the Chinese economy would go. And then he started writing down a few of the article titles. Um, and he was like... And he oh. didn't pay you a penny for it. No, he did not. Exceptional. He did not. He did not. But he did offer me the job. So, <laughs> yeah. so it was more than one penny. More than one penny. Um, but yeah, so I, I think just just keep it, keep it as... Um, relevant to the interview as possible. Choose something that you're either genuinely interested in or you think would actually be interesting to talk about as opposed to trying something that, that you're actually not interested in but you think it would just, you know, make you look good. Yeah, I, I think avoid those questions. Yeah. Okay. For me, I just encourage people to ask questions. I think we're implicitly looking at your drive and motivation to join the firm. So there must be something that you don't know about it. The person interviewing you works there, whether it's an insight into the culture, the networks, if they're a fian or the practice area they're in, um, I'm sure there is something. I, I, equally, I guess some people don't want to ask a question for sort of question's sake, and I would avoid sort of practical questions because people running the assessment day can sort of communicate that. But um, yeah, drive and motivation is the thing that you show by being curious and asking questions rather than saying I'm driven and motivated. So that shows that you are interested in the work that we're doing. Um, so I don't think overthink it. And you could prepare if you if you want, but um, but yeah, I'd try and avoid ones that perhaps you already know the answer to or have already been answered. And it may be something you've discussed because that shows you've been a sort of active listener as well and actually engage with them and maybe ask about their day. Uh, look, on the case study, one, one thing which comes up quite often is, oh, what what did I, how did I do? What, what was wrong? What was right? We're not... Just to be to be frank, we can't get drawn into that just because it's yeah. a case study. Other people are doing it, and you know we our our grad rec team is very good at communicating feedback to candidates. So I'll happily you know have a discussion about Chinese business trends <laughs> as much as the next fellow. But um, yeah, you know think about think about the audience as well. 
Okay, thank you. And from your experience, how can candidates better prepare for interviews? Uh, again, life advice: uh, get lots of sleep beforehand. Uh, be rested. You're, this is this, as I mentioned, like the first thing I said about this is potential. And so that's looking at what your mind is and how your mind works. And you're just not going to be true to yourself unless your mind is rested. All science has shown this recently. Um, so do that. And then this is going to sound like life advice as well, but appreciate your own value and don't automatically devalue an experience you've had on the basis that it's not in the FT. I, I say this because I feel like there's a lot of rote learning around what it takes to be, uh, you know, in our type of firm. And not all of it's helpful. Um, it is definitely important and valuable to do those things. It, it really, really is. But you may have some more directly relevant experience, which actually would make your answer much richer than quoting an FT article from two months ago. You know, we're not looking for, there isn't a formula really. We're looking for you as an individual and how you work and how your mind works and what's unique about you and interesting and, you know, why you're super, super, super talented. <laughs> Uh, mine's probably practical as well I think you know if you're based further afield you've got the autonomy you can choose an afternoon slot rather than a morning one then should anything be delayed you're not causing yourself any extra stress on the day um, be adaptable sometimes interviewers have to change last minute try and you know and um, take that um, as you can and yeah listen to it as I said like there'll always be sort of instructions at the start of the day opportunities to ask questions so you know um, you can give yourself the best foot forward there I mean, that's definitely very helpful for me and I'm sure for our listeners as well. As well. Can I actually, one more thing, um, which is also actually, this is what I say to everybody I interview as soon as I come into the room, which is, um, we're, we're one of the last few true professions in the sense that I, all the partners, everyone who's seen you in this place has been in the position of the person being interviewed at some point. We all literally know, there's no shortcuts, you have to go through this. We all literally know what you're going through. So this isn't a situation where there's an emotional detachment from what you're going through. We understand it. Mm -hmm. So take some comfort from that. This is not, you're not in isolation. This is not a weird thing for you. I think that's very helpful. And thank you all very much for, well, your honesty. And now moving on to the fire round of off the wall questions. What quote or saying do people say, but you don't really agree with? It is what it is. I feel like that it's makes meaningless. Me think of <laughs> I feel like it's meaningless. Yeah, I agree. With that. Or life is like that. What What do they mean? Those sort of phrases. Uh, they don't make you feel much better either. <laughs> it's also it's an excuse, isn't it? I don't like excuses. I agree with that. Okay, Colin, what do you think? If you can't handle me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah, I, that feels like a generational one, I must say. I, I, haven't that, I haven't heard that one before. Sounds like a dating profile. <laughs> that, oh, there we go. That's it's generational. All over it's all over. It's all over. Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I, I'm, gl I'm glad I'm spared that. And actually, we say this living my best life because I think that's subjective. Or what is the best life? I hope you're living your best life. Yeah. I feel like I can't disagree with that. I hope you are. I'm not sure that's a phrase I've heard very often, but I hope you're living your best. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Karen. <laughs> you were given a one-minute ad slot during the Super Bowl <laughs> that you couldn't sell. What would you fill it with? One-minute ad slot. I love this. 
A&A graduate with creamy cream. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, no, that's that's really. Let's 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 that no, no. Right click, right click, humor button. I think. <laughs> right click, exit. Yeah, exactly. I mean, jokes aside, I think that what I would what I would do if I had a one minute ad slot for that audience is is um have something which just makes people make people appreciate a little bit more that what they are and what they do is worthwhile because i think there's a lot of negativity at the moment in the world to be honest with you um so a bit of life affirmation wouldn't be amiss i think for everyone free of cost i'm assuming it's free of cost i'm not paying for that <laughs> <laughs> well you got given the ad slots there we so. go free of cost yeah. perfect well that's very altruistic i i am a very altruistic person Emma. i don't know what you've heard about me but <laughs> What do you think, Colin? I would just think of, you know, filling it in with like all things wholesome and, and fun, like like nice food and all that kind of stuff to make people feel happy about life. Oh. Yeah, I like that kind of stuff. Okay. Like ice cream flavors, you know, just spreading across the screens, like puppies running across. There we go. Uh, actually, yeah, yeah, just like yeah. like dogs playing. Yeah, fine. dogs playing, you know. <laughs> I think cat, everyone you know. would be happier. Right, right, they'd they'd be be like, oh, that was a good minute. That yeah. was a happy yeah. minute. Yeah. I'm happy now. Like, I've spent a minute feeling happy about life. Right. right. Yeah. We're looking to give back. <laughs> <laughs> and thinking about giving back, I was wondering whether you had any book or film, music, or any cultural recommendation for our listeners. Sure. Um well, if you if you if you like if you like history, you should read Donald Sassoon's new book, which is what's it called? Finished it a couple of weeks ago. The Anxious Triumph, I think it's called. It's effectively a um, a review of sort of history, the history of capitalism. It goes back quite a way, but it focuses on the period between around eighteen sixty to sort of nineteen twenty, nineteen thirty, and it's just it's just astonishingly interesting given the where the world is at the moment and everything that's happening in society to see how unfortunately history often does repeat itself um so that that you know if you want to depress yourself that's a good book to read <laughs> um how about you emma godwin um i've just finished a fiction book actually but um sweet sorrow by david nichols he wrote one day okay is that the movie with uh, Anne Hathaway? They made a movie with Anne. Yeah. Hath- oh my god, that was so sad. I, I cried so much. At the so we got two sad books. <laughs> Anyone else for any more? <laughs> well, my 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 books are not that happy either. Um, I've, I've been reading um, two poetry collections. Um, one by Mary Jean Chan, um, and another by Ocean Vuong. Um, they are both. Uh, basically writing about the um, perennial tension between um, East Asian cultural factors and living in the West and how that informs their poetry. So I enjoy that kind of stuff. I write as well. So, you know, it's a shout out to my fellow poets, <laughs> but they're a lot higher standard, so quite different. Yeah. <laughs> Just to clarify. <laughs> Just to clarify. To get, maybe to get a bit less niche then, because I feel like maybe we've all been a bit, little bit niche, maybe not you, Emma, but... Yeah. So, so, <laughs> Sorry, I'm here for the mainstream. Certainly me and Godwin. Then the other thing is I can highly recommend Shazam I don't know if you've watched it. The movie is hilarious oh, yeah, and yeah, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Watched it, was, it last it night on good. TV. It was amazing. Ah, oh, I'll yeah, watch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's about a boy who's like becomes a superhero and he's like right. in a man's body. It's really funny. Yeah. Well, it's yeah, it's, I liked it. <laughs> I, I would recommend, there's this, well, now it's on Netflix. It's called Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. Oh, yeah, yeah I've seen that. Uh, and it's Jerry Seinfeld interviewing other comedians in an obviously funny way. And he picks a car for, that he thinks suits each comedian's personality. And then they go to like always a different coffee shop. 
Did you did you see the one where he went and was it with Obama just before he left? Did you see oh, that yeah, one? Yeah, that I was love, hilarious. I love that. Yeah, it was yeah. really good. It was really that good. It was really funny. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, we need to we need to watch this. <laughs> <laughs> so that that is the end of this episode, the last episode of the podcast. Thank you for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I'm sure our listeners have found all of the advice very, very valuable. Thank you all for listening and remember to follow us on social media and check the graduate website. We have a lot of interesting content that we're posting regularly.